Hi, and welcome to the Thriving in Technology podcast, also known as TINT. Your hosts are Sam Moulton, Petra Stefanova, and Cecilia Taylor, all members of Team Influence at NetApp. For this episode, we're joined by Melissa Palmer, better known as vmis 33 on the Twitters. Melissa is a product strategy technologist at Veeam. She is a VMware certified design expert, data center virtualization, number 236, and an author of a book in the IT Architect series, The Journey, a guidebook for anyone interested in IT architecture. We are so pleased that Melissa could join us for our inaugural podcast episode. Take a listen. So, Melissa, tell us what the secret is to recording a great podcast. I don't think there's one secret in particular, but there's a couple things I've learned along the way. First of all, talk about something interesting, right? Bring on someone interesting, somebody you found their work in a blog or a book, whatever, and you admire, and you're gonna have a great conversation with. But at the end of the day, it's really important to remember that a podcast is another piece of content. It's no different than a blog or a white paper or an infographic. So it's important to remember that and promote it as such. So have a nice blog post about your podcast. Tie your podcast into other content you're generating. If you know you had someone come on to talk about VMware and someone writes a blog about VMware, put the podcast in as a reference. Make sure you're promoting it on social media and sharing it with the world, just kind of like you would do with any other piece of content you're working with. So, Melissa. Yes, Sam. <laughs> Thanks for joining us today. And uh, I think we should kick this off by having you tell us a little story about how you and I met since we've got some history together. It's story time, huh? <laughs> Why not? I'm to, let me think. I think technically we probably met on the Twitters or something like that. Probably the Probably. first interaction. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. And then I remember at NetApp Insight a long, long time ago, there was like a social media reception, and I don't even think it was called the A-Team at that point. It that was is just correct. People who like to blog and tweet about NetApp, and I showed up, and I met Sam, and the rest <laughs> is kind of history. Right, that was actually the very first A-Team reception, although we weren't calling them that at the time, as you mentioned. And that was where I did my first batch of recruiting. And it was just such a blessing to have Melissa there because uh, a little help from the, uh, the girl power aspect. And she was very instrumental in helping me get the program started by, you know, helping me uh, determine the right kind of membership criteria to consider. And that was uh, a pretty great way to kick off, uh, a, you know, the actual formal launch of the program. It really was. It was a lot of fun. I still remember that. It was just, it was a great experience. I had been just starting to get active in social media, actually. So it was a great opportunity for me as well to kind of work with Sam on this program. And it was the chocolate-covered bacon. Come on, let's be honest. It was, and I remember I had to take Benadryl afterwards because something was up with the chocolate. <laughs> oh, dear. I, I didn't know that part of the story. Yeah. Is, is it when that tradition started, Sam, with the, with the bacon? Uh, with the, yep. 
Yep, goes way back, goes way back to that. And I don't, it wasn't my original idea. I, I would love to give the credit to whoever came up with it. Uh, but at this time, it is not, it's not accessible in the, in the, uh, the memory bank. But yeah, it was, and, and Melissa has been with us for the entire time. She is a five-year member. But interestingly enough, she spent most of that time as a NetApp, NetApp tech advisor. But now, since she left NetApp to join Veeb, she is an official A-team member. So I know. I kind of got <laughs> upgraded, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, you switch sides. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, we have it going the other way sometimes, too, where, you know, some of my A-team members have become NetApp employees. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you yeah. know, and, and it, it all works out. Melissa joined the green side. I was going to say the dark side, but it, it, it's Oops. green. It's very green. <laughs> very green. Yeah, it's a lovely shade of green. How does it feel, Melissa, to be one of the original AT members? What do you think changed? You know, first of all, were you one of the few super powerful girl powers in some arsenal? And I think that's a quite a privilege. But also how things changed um, over the past five years for you. You know, it doesn't make any difference to be on the green side than on the blue side. Like, share your thoughts about that. You know, there's, how has it changed in the last five years? Other than adding more members, not much has changed because we've always been a really core-focused technical group focused on that products and innovations, right? So that kind of theme has continued during the last five years as members have lead, left and joined and all that stuff. So the core mission of the A-team really hasn't changed. It's adding more people to it. As for being on the other side, other than saying I am now a member of the A-team instead of a technical advisor, not much has changed there either. It's just kind of a testament to the program and how dedicated everybody is, whether they're a NetApp technical advisor or an actual A-team member. Um, what would you say has been um, the greatest value that you've gotten from participating in the program? Greatest value. So uh, kind of selfishly, when I was a FlexPod architect and TME, the A-Team was a great sounding board for, you know, design X aspects of FlexPod and new designs I was thinking about working on. So very selfishly, they were just, and they still are, just a great resource on any kind of technical NetApp question or discussion you want to have about a design aspect of anything. They're just, it's just a great group of people. I couldn't agree more, I have to say. Love all my kids. <laughs> we like to joke that Sam is our unofficial mother. <laughs> yeah. Mom. So, Melissa, can you talk to us about your other community involvement? Let's see. So, we coined a phrase in the A-team called the Flex Perks, and that <laughs> is for those of us who are the experts, that's VMware, NetApp A-team members, which is NetApp, and Cisco Champions, which is Cisco, and that's the three components of a FlexPod. So we kind of coined that phrase in the group. I know it's kind of corny. <laughs> so I'm a member of all three of those, and I used to be a Veeam Vanguard before I decided to go and work for Veeam. So what do you think about the other programs? Like, obviously, one of, the, one of the things that people keep talking about the A-Team is how it's very different from any other communities, but I would just like to hear your perspective on in general, the community feeling, you know, what kind of things you've learned from the community and, you know, what do you love about it, even what you hate about it, like, generally, what do you think? <laughs> so, I pretty much love all the community programs out there because it's a way to get people together with similar interests to share knowledge, right? That's what it's all about. It's about teaching the community and learning from the community. That being said, 
Um, NetApp 18 and Veeam Vanguard are both smaller programs. So when you have a smaller program, you can do a lot more, like the NetApp 18 ETL, where they fly to either Sunnyvale or North Carolina and have a briefing. And Veeam Vanguard does a similar program. So those smaller programs are definitely much more intimate. And because they're smaller, we, you can do more with the members, right? Because at the end of the day, we all have budgets. You have X amount of money this year to run this program. So by keeping some of the programs smaller, you can do more. But on the other hand, there's also NetApp United, which is the much wider program. So I really like kind of that two-tier programming, you know, the really core um, passionate group that's almost exclusively focused on the technology. And then the wider group for the people who, you know, they're somewhat focused on the technology, but they're working with other stuff too. So they might have different areas of passion as well. That's a really great perspective. Well, thanks for, you know, thanks for sharing your view. I, I think we, we both, we all on the podcast agree that sometimes you can't have one, one size fits it all approach. So every, every vendor has it, its own decision. But at the end of exactly. the day, I think, I think what matters is like whoever wants to commit their time to the community, they can. There's so pl plenty of opportunity to do so. Um, do you have like a story, maybe a funny story with the A team or in general in any, any community experience that you would like to share with? with our funny listeners. community experiences. Um, I think the funniest of all probably is being a Veeam Vanguard and going to work for Veeam. It was just cut funny how that worked out. I had gotten involved very heavily with Veeam Technologies during the design process for my VCDX. And I'd actually called my now boss, Rick Vanover, and it was like, hey, Rick, I need a crash course in Veeam architecture. And from there, I started really kind of being active with Veeam, blogging about it, playing with it in labs. I became a Veeam Vanguard, and I became more active with it, and now I work for Veeam. So could you tell us, um, you've written a book, and uh, we I want have. to make, definitely make sure that we get that in there. So could you tell us what it was like and how you were approached to write this book? So my book is part of a series called the IT Architect Series, and it's focused on the journey of becoming an IT architect. Right around the time I was finishing up my VCDX certification, the gentleman who run the series actually reached out to me and were like, hey, have you ever thought of writing a book? And I said, yes, I have, but I'm about to defend VCDX next week, so can we talk in another week after I'm done with this so I can think about it? And from there, it just kind of happened. I started writing the book in January, and I finished by Memorial Day weekend, which is the end of May, for those of you who aren't familiar with the American holiday. And my whole goal was to write this book and have it available at VMworld last year, which I met by the skin of my teeth. So that was an interesting experience, to say the least. Wow, that's impressive. You wrote a book in such a short period of time. Yeah. Uh, I, I am still in awe. Like, how did you do that? Like... You obviously, I mean, just the moment you mentioned that, I was like, wow, did you have like an entire family handling everything for you? Because how do you find time to do your job and, you know, and to actually write a whole book, especially after you spend so much time preparing for such a huge, um, so, huge achievement? Yeah, in a way, I had come right off of VCDX onto the book, so I was used to putting in those late nights and that weekend work. And luckily, my family is very, very super supportive, so they were willing to help around the house and stuff like that so I could have my time. And I would write the book mostly at night and on the weekends. And my rule was once I had more than five typos in one sentence, it was done for the day and I shouldn't write anymore. Like, I would just get to the point where I couldn't even write coherent language. And I'm like, okay, we're done for tonight. 
and I would track every day how many words I wrote and my total word count. Yeah, well, I think and that's a pretty cool. Yeah, sure. I, I was just thinking about the fact that Melissa, I think at one point or maybe maybe more than once, uh, wrote a blog post every day for some period of time. Was it for yeah, a year? Yeah, every day for a month. Oh, for a month. Okay. Yeah. I, for some reason, I had every it in my mind. Every day for a year makes me want to cry if I think about doing that. I don't think I need to do that. Was that well, during the same time? No, or? it was different. So we um, another community thing I do is I help run this competition called Virtual Design Master. And it's an online reality competition about gaining design skills. So we would start with, you know, 12 people every week, have them write a design, defend it, and vote them off the island, right? So that kind of thing. And one of the things we put together was VDM 30 and 30, what we called it. And during the month of November, you would write a blog every day for 30 days. And it was just kind of to get those writing muscles going and get people, you know, who are nervous about blogging into it and kind of hone your skills and just for the sake of getting in the habit of writing daily. So, yeah, wow. I did that a couple times where I did 30 blogs in 30 days, and that's a lot, too. Yeah. So, Absolutely. Petra, that might be an excellent way for us to get uh, the United and A-team members um, more comfortable with the whole concept of blogging. So, I would say do it in November because November is also uh, NaNoWriMo, which is like National Write a Novel Month, and I've done that, too. So, that year I decided to switch from trying to write a novel in a month to writing 30 blog posts it actually ended up being less than a novel, which was, I guess I gave myself a break by doing that. I don't know. <laughs> but I had to come up with 30 different topics to write about. That was really hard. How do you do that? So why don't you tell us a little bit like how do you pick your blog post topics? That definitely is something that's relevant for all those people who are looking into. Studying a blog is always like one of those questions like how do you come up with ideas? There's a question for you. That's a good question. I think ideas come in from a number of places. It, it's either something I want to learn more about that I don't have much experience in. It's something that I do have a lot of experience in and I want to be able to share and teach people with. Or it's just something I've stumbled across in working on a certain technology or whatever, a problem I ran into or you know an upgrade I did or whatever, and documenting that to share and teach people. So inspiration can really come from anywhere. I had I've had stuff come out of left field. Like, I don't, I can't even remember why I did this, but the last blog I wrote was on VMware tools. And I don't remember how I stumbled across the VMware tools kick, but I did. So I wrote a whole blog kind of teaching people, you know, what it is, how to upgrade it, all this kind of stuff. And it was just so random. But hey, it clicked, so I did it. How often do you work sort of your personal world into your, your blogging? I don't usually. So there's a couple times I have, like I've done posts, like my 100th, 200th blog post, and I wrote a post when I first started blogging about kind of this top B blog competition, and it was the year I had been very, very ill, and blogging was a great outlet for me because I couldn't really do much, but I could sit and blog and interact with the community and teach and learn. So for me, when I was very ill, that was a great way to do things and stay involved and kind of stay happy, right? I had had a really severe allergic reaction that almost killed me. I saw the light. I thought I was a goner. And then after that, for the next several months, I was still having all these crazy allergic reactions. So it was very, it was very difficult to deal with. It was very scary. It was learning a new normal and how to relive my life again. I kind of have to start from nothing and start over. But it was a great, great way to still be social and involved from the comfort of my own chair in my house. <laughs> 
Right. So it's almost uh, maybe along the lines of journaling, which is something that really helps people get through difficult times. But this is just sort of more of a public uh, approach to it. Yeah, and I, I wasn't really, I wrote one blog post about what had happened to me, and that was it. Everything else was technical, believe it or not. I was, but that was my outlet, kind of learning new things and teaching them. Well, it's very clear that you definitely reside in, what is it, geekdom, I think? Geekdom, it's yes. A, geekdom, yeah. Yep. <laughs> that's that's your thing. That's what you love. That's what it you is. Love doing. It, it's, it's been that way for a long time, and uh, no, I just like it. It's just my thing. Was there yeah. life before technical? Sure. You know, was there life before IT? Not really. (laughs) Before writing, uh, yes, I do wish I had started blogging sooner, quite honestly. I really wish I would have started, like, back in the day when I got my first job, started blogging, but I didn't. Uh, I was a big consumer of blogs to learn stuff, but I never actually took that leap to write my own. And, yeah. advice to someone who's looking to start blogging and they're like, oh, I'm not sure I can do it. Just do it. You can. And you're going to go back and read your first blog post and be like, oh, man, these are terrible. But that's all part of the process. Writing is just a skill that will do nothing but serve you in your life, right? It's a really big aspect of career, you know, writing reports or documentation or just being able to communicate well in an email and explain what's going on. So I just feel like writing is a skill that everybody should have and should practice. And there's kind of this this myth that engineers can't write, which I hate to hear. I really don't like it because I don't think it's true. And I think us techies get a bad rap that we can't write. But the community is full of bloggers with great writing. So I don't really like that myth. I think you should write a blog about this. I think I did already, actually. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and I talked about it like in the book, too. Topic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, for someone who's done so much writing, it's like, what are the things that you've learned along the way? I mean, you've written so many blogs, you've written a book. Is there something that fundamentally changed in the way you perceive writing? But also, it's like, what did you learn? What is what, what was like the you know the best takeaways out of discovering your writing passion? I think you're constantly evolving as a writer. So I like to go back and read old stuff I've written. And, of course, I, like everybody else, like, that's terrible. I am so much better now. I should not have done that, right? But, like, for example, when I was editing my book, I, I wrote this list of words that I thought I overused. And I can't remember what most of them are, but I remember one was really. I was saying, like, really a lot to describe things. I'm like, that's terrible. That just needs to go. And I got rid of it from my writing. Another one is the word that, like, just using the word that. You don't need to use that all the time. So people overuse that. So just kind of picking up on my own writing as I go back and read it and refining it, really. I was actually wanting to go back to, you mentioned something about how your mother had a profound uh, profound impact on, on your public speaking. So yes. can you tell us a little bit about how this whole thing started? <laughs> and is she I don't know, I don't know if my mom did like this story or not. We'll see. Um, so the first public speaking I ever did was seventh grade and it was something about a program we had had for the school board just to kind of talk about what I had learned and all that good stuff and my mom had helped me practice and I was saying the word um a lot and we we nipped that in the bud pretty early some of those words you add just because you're nervous and you're still thinking on your feet so I've always made a really big effort to not say stuff like that and if I practice in front of my mother she's happy to tell me that I need to get rid of those words just like she used to take the red pen in my papers in middle school and cross out the word that. She kind of helped me refine some of my speaking and writing. My mother is 
my best friend and my biggest champion. She's helped me with everything I've accomplished, and I wouldn't be where I am today without her. I love um, you. <laughs> um, how do you get rid of the um? So it was just a matter it's training. of training. It's just training. You just have to listen for it. You have to speak a lot slower. Um, in this day and age, I would say, like in seventh grade, there weren't a lot of like recordings of things, right? That was a long time ago. But I would say now, listen to yourself and learn when you use the word um and learn how to remove it. And it's really, really just hyper, hyper awareness until you get used to it. And I'm sure someone caught me saying um or so or something on this. You know, no one's perfect 100% of the time, but we all just do our best. Good advice. It's so about the practice, isn't it? Um, it's all about practice. There you go. I just said that. Wow. It's so All funny. about practice. Practice makes it's, perfect. It's a, it's definitely something that I'll pay more attention to myself. Thanks for, thanks for that advice, for sure. I was actually interested, because you mentioned your mom has been a, a massive champion for you, and I'm pretty sure just taking the VCDX took you a long time and took you a lot of, a lot of guts. Tell us a little bit about what helped you get through the process. How did you decide even to sign up for the certification? As far as I know, there's, what, 200 people who were right to have that? 270 to be exact, not that I keep track. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about that journey. And I hate to say that, but I've always wondered how many women actually have that, because this is quite an important point to show about diversity in our industry. And, you know... I'm just curious how many women actually have it. I believe there are currently four women that have it. Wow, that's really impressive. I think we should champion to get more more of them, for sure. Absolutely. But, you know, it's not just about – it's about making anybody interested in it, right, because it's such a huge undertaking. It's You have to take all the VMware certification tests. Then you have to write your design document and, like, five other supporting documents. You submit it, and then you have to fly someplace to defend in front of a panel. So it's a really, really big time investment for anyone. And I think for a lot of people, it's just hard to do because, you know, we all have day jobs. We all have families. We all have lives. And it's hard. It's hard to make the time. I had wanted to do it for a very long time. And the time just came for me where I said, it's either now or I'm never going to do it. So I'm going to do it now. And that was it. I did it. <laughs> well, great for you. I mean, it's really impressive, to be honest. Um, what was the drive behind this? Is it something like you just want to check off the list to prove a point that you can do it? Or is this like, you know, I really want to be that person and I have a design in mind? Or what, what drives you to, to, to take the process? Because obviously, as meant, it takes, it's such a huge undertaking that I'm sure you haven't taken it nicely. Yeah, exactly. I remember, and I can't remember the date. I know I have a blog with the date. It was Maybe 2008, 2009, I was sitting in my tube at work, and I didn't have any VMware certifications because I was on the VMware team. And I was looking at getting my first VMware certification, the VCP. And I was poking around the website, and I found this VCDX certification. <clears throat> and what it is, what it entails, and, you know, it, it sort of proves your knowledge in the area of virtualization. And more than that, it's about, you know, business requirements. And it's just about everything in infrastructure, right? Because VMware touches so much and you have to speak to stakeholders. You need to make a business case for your technology. It just made, it makes people a really, really well-rounded architect. And I had looked at it and I thought, wow, this is really, really interesting. And I want to do that one day. And I decided on that expert level certification personally because VMware had just been a huge passion of mine and my favorite technology for a very long time. So I said, all right, 
I'm going to do this. And it took me a number of years to actually, you know, take all the tests, meet all the prereqs, and to actually do it. And one of the great things about VCDX is, like, you can't fake it, right? You're in front of a panel of three VCDXs defending it. So it's not like you can get a brain dump for VCDX and, like, hack your way and cheat your way through it. it it's, like, pretty legitimate. You either have it or you don't. You either know it or you don't. You're not going to pass unless you're that really good VMware design expert. This sounds almost like a, a being a, you know, um, being a doctorate, you know, becoming a doctor of science. But it's a in, similar in the, process. In the field of that, yeah. it, it's a similar process, right? You're writing this design documentation and all the supporting documentation, which is like a thesis, and then you have to go in front of a panel and defend it, which is like a doctoral defense. So it's similar in that it follows the same methodology, which if you look at, you know, any doctoral programs, it's a pretty solid methodology in making sure that person is an expert in the field to gain those letters. What, we, what is your, you know, what is your advice to everyone who is interested in taking taking the exam but is not sure, you know, they can make the commitment or they're good enough? I mean, it's the usual thing, right? Like, what would you tell them and why they should do it? So I think the best reason to do it is because you want to, right? Because it's something you feel passionate about. And there's a pretty long path you have to take before you get there, right? You have to take the VCP test, and you have to have both VCAPs before you can even start, you know, before you can submit your design. I guess you can be working on it that whole time. I don't – I think anybody can do it. If you're willing to put in the hard work, you can do it. There's nothing different about me than anyone else. I'm not a better person than someone who hasn't done it yet. It's just making that time and effort – and finding people to help you along the way, right? So I had a group of friends, we called ourselves the VCDX Wolfpack, and we went through this whole process together. So we processed, um, we practiced mock design scenarios and stuff like that. I remember the first time I like met a VCDX, I was so starstruck I could barely speak to them, right? Because it's like, I was at VMworld actually, I think 2014, and um, I think it was Nutanix sponsored a big VCDX session, and the room was full of them. And I was like, ah, I can't talk in here. I'm scared. These people are so smart. But I'm one of them now, which is pretty cool. How and did that feel? It, it's pretty cool. And you know what? Everybody was so helpful and so welcoming anytime I approached someone with a certification for guidance or mentorship. So, you know, every, there's people out there that are willing to help you. It's, but the big thing is you have to you have to make the commitment and you have to – spend the time and effort. There's no cheating this. There's no brain dump. There's no faking it. You, you just need to put in the time and learn everything. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that with us. I'm, I'm pretty sure there's a couple of people listening there where they're like, oh, I'm not sure I can do it. But take, take Melissa's advice and just do it. The just do it. happen is you just realize you have to work harder to get there. But that's what the process is all about, isn't it? Exactly. Well, you have been a wonderful guest. We really appreciate you taking the time out and chatting with us. Um, well, thank you so much well. for having me. We're newbies at this, but hopefully we'll get better. But we appreciate you guys were you, great. Uh, no, it was really great. Time I couldn't for tell you were new. I really couldn't. <laughs> oh, you are <laughs> so <laughs> kind. <laughs> thank you. Nice to um, us, but thanks, Melissa. <laughs> thank you. Hey, we have so. to support one another, right? Exactly. Yeah. We certainly do. Thank you so much. And uh, until next time, we'll talk to you later. Take care. All right. Bye. Thanks for listening. Bye -bye. To our listeners out there, we know you have a bunch of podcasts you could be listening to, and we appreciate the time you took to spend with us. And we hope that you will add us to your list of must-listen podcasts. We would love to hear your feedback. What works? What doesn't? 
What would you like to hear about in our next episode? Send us an email to ngtentpodcast at netapp.com and let us know what you would like to discuss. Until next time.